ThinkMed Claims presents the Board and Collar 10Q30. We pose 10 questions to emergency medical service leaders from across the United States on key matters affecting EMS nationwide. You'll find their unique responses interesting and thought-provoking, all in 30 minutes. Your host, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvath. Well, good day, everyone. My name is Gary Harvath. I'm from the Client Success Team at QuickMed Claims, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Chuck Humphrey. Hi, Chuck, everyone. believe it or not, is a retired guy, but we keep him on because he's just a wealth of knowledge, and he's good-looking, too. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, All the MS people never die, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, we've got a great program today, and joining us today is Jonathan Collier. Jonathan is the Vice President of Mobile Medicine for Atrium Health, and we're going to do our 10Q30, which many of you have come to love and appreciate. Uh, amazing by me that the people actually listen to us, Chuck. I know, yeah, uh, um, but uh, it's because I know they John's... don't have to look at us. They'll they're willing exactly. to listen to us. That's why. But I know Jonathan's uh, talk today and discussion that we go over the ten questions in thirty minutes uh, will garner a lot of attention. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about uh, the program and just engage in the industry for sure. Well, well, that's a great segue. So thank you for that. So let's just start by by telling us a little bit about you, your organization, and and kind of what makes you tick and what got you into all of this craziness that Chuck and I've been involved with so for so many years. A great, great question. So my background is primarily on the air medical side. So I've had the blessing and opportunity to work with incredible people for the last 22, 23 years, going back to starting at Rocky Mountain Helicopters, working at uh, PHI Air Medical and seeing them through a lot of their growth in business development and operations worked in their operations in the East Coast and got to work with some incredible people. Went from a, a publicly traded organization down to be the CEO of a, a small air medical company out of Boise, Idaho, if you can believe, that was Summit Air Ambulance. From there, went to Air Methods, where I was an executive and the senior vice president of operations for Air Methods for a number of years. So large, obviously large organization yeah. through a period of consolidation where I had the western half of the U.S. and a fantastic team that made me look good that I had a lot of fun with as we went through some ups and downs in the, the mid-2010s. And then from there went to Summit, excuse me, to Apollo MedFlight for the last five years where I was the chief strategy officer. And then just under a year ago, about nine months ago, I had the opportunity to join Atrium Health and become their vice president of mobile medicine. So as you can tell, a lot of background in the pre-hospital, but in my career, one of my favorite aspects has been working with health systems and communities in managing patients and how they get to where they need to be and providing that community service. And so from the seat that I'm sitting in now, I just get excited every day because Mobile medicine within Atrium and Advocate, our, our growing umbrella of organizations, really is unique in that we touch all aspects of patient coordination and movement to where this is really the first time that I've worked for an organization where I can say it is a fully integrated patient management system. And I'd love to go into more detail about that. There's so much history here. I mean, if you look at Carolina's Medical Center and Charlotte Memorial going back 
36 years. They started MedCenter Air in 1986 with the first transport was of a NASCAR driver injured at a, in a race at Charlotte Motor Speedway in a Bell 206, no less. So that's, that. that's taking it back a ways. Uh, you know, by the time I got into the industry, a Bell 206 was something you looked at and thought you can dinosaur. put a person in there. Right? <laughs> uh, but that's what they started with and had a lot of success with. Added fixed wing in 1987 with a King Air 200, an aircraft that a lot of us have worked with over the years. They added a jet in 2007 with the Citation. Really looked at the specialty teams in the early 90s and critical care ground added in the mid 90s in 1994. So growing from there, you add so many other services that we can get into. But MedCenter really seems to be MedCenter Air was the central focus that got Carolina's Medical Center and now Atrium into the patient transport business. And then around that, they've grown their services that are just incredible. And I would hold up their investments in equipment and people and operations against any organization or system I've been with. So clearly you can, you can see that I've drunk the Kool-Aid and uh, excited <laughs> about this organization. Well, I don't know about drink the Kool-Aid. I think of your passion shows, which is, which is very, very inspiring. I have to tell you uh, because our industry today isn't one to get excited about in many cases, but seeing you at your point in your career, be that excited about what you're doing. I, it's refreshing, G. I don't know about you, but but I just just that opening line makes me more than interested in in uh, many ten cues that we've done. That's for it's, sure. It's really nice to see a person who's excited about their position in the organization they're working for. I will tell you that Jonathan just took me down memory lane here because he. Uh, he mentioned some older aircraft, and I will tell you, here we go. They're definitely dating yourself here, Gare. Uh, you know, mine kind of started and was affiliated with an Alouette. Yeah. And um, which was, you know, basically, you know, just a bunch of fiberglass with a rubber band and somehow it flew. Um, but, you use an oar to push the aircraft too. I mean, you're well, you know, they used there, to, right? I think they called it prime the fuel with a um, one of the flight nurses. Uh, we called them bobby pins. And, you know, like on cold nights, they had to get somebody out of there and out it went. But you mentioned an organization that has long been near near to my heart because they were there for those alouettes and that was rocky mountain helicopters which uh you know was a great organization i worked with them when i was uh, with the flight program here in pittsburgh and they were all good people and i have very fond memories of, of all of them so that's great but um so nine months on the job jonathan i mean really you've jumped in with both feet and um uh, and and that's great. Uh, you're obviously liking what you're doing, and and uh, you know probably have some plans for the future. Um, tell us a little bit about both the ground and the air side. If you could give us a little more detail, we'd be uh, delighted to hear that. Of course. So I almost have to run through methodically in my mind the different aspects of it because truly this program touches mobile medicine as a division touches from when patients first come into the system all the way through their home. So let me highlight a few things and redirect if you need me to. But what I get excited about is, so we have what most health systems would either call a transfer center, physician connection line. We have our transfer center, what we call the capacity command center. 
And as part of that, we have our communications and dispatch center. So really, we may have patients that come in the system through atrium affiliated hospitals or external hospitals that are looking to move patients into the system in the Charlotte market, in the Wake uh, Wake Forest, Winston-Salem market. In the Southeast, we have referral patterns that would go through one of our transfer centers, communication centers, that then they find a bed, find a physician. I recently had a friend, and, and you probably have similar circumstances in your careers. Me being an administration, I've always heard of friends or people that are stuck overseas, and I've been able to refer them to others when they were stuck and needed a transport. For the first time in my career, I had a friend who their spouse was injured overseas in the Caribbean. They called, were not able to find a bed, not able to find transport. And for the first time in my career, I could say, I can help with that. And so called my team, they were able to find a bed, find a physician, and then we were able to coordinate transport with one of our jets. So that communication center aspect, capacity command center is the first entry point. From there, I'll just touch on a few things. So we have our critical care teams that could go by helicopter. So we have uh, four rotoring bases around Charlotte. We have three additional bases up around Winston-Salem that uh, Wake Forest is a partner system of ours. And so we have seven bases plus additional aircraft that of, of helicopters for spares that operate in and around the central North Carolina area. So responding clearly to scene transports, to interfacility requests, they're just they're busy operations with incredible critical care crews that I love to spend time with. I got to ride along last Friday with one of my teams as they flew in to take a patient. One of those where I came crossing my fingers that I'd be able to ride along when I was visiting a base and they were very kind to take me. I'm a little bit, little bit bigger of a guy. So luckily they had a smaller crew and it fit well on a hot day for me to come <laughs> along. But, uh, but we're in EC-135s across our fleet and they're great aircraft. And so our rotor wing crews, our critical care work in those, those rotors. They also work in our fixed wing crews, excuse me, in our fixed wing aircraft. And so we have three PC-24s and a Citation. So four jets that are operating out of Charlotte that serve the continental US, the Caribbean, and are very active. So we do a lot with patient transport. We fly third-party teams, and then we fly a lot of organs. So we have uh, an organ procurement organization within Atrium. So we're managing organs for North Carolina and other locations. And so we move organs on a daily basis and move teams to go uh, work with donors to be able to move those organs to where they're needed. And then within that critical care, those teams, we have our specialty teams. So neonate specialty teams, pediatric specialty teams that work both in this region and across the, the continental US with, with our jets. Uh, from an aviation perspective, I mentioned the jets and the helicopters. We also are working with drones. We have a pilot project going where we have drones moving equipment between some of our hospitals, which is really cool. Wow. That's just starting. That so it's is... a partnership with UPS, but I got to witness that a few weeks ago up at uh, in Winston-Salem where they were moving some, uh, some samples between different facilities that were across a freeway. So watched it lift off and move it to the other facility, really cool. I think that's the future and clearly we're trying to stay ahead of that where that would have normally taken a driver by vehicle or a helicopter. So love, love that aspect. 
And then we also work with, uh, this is something I get really excited about if you couldn't tell, but we have some great people that uh, used to work in, uh, along with consulates and with groups overseas, embassies. And so we do medical assist. So we work on repatriations, getting people back to their homes that are out of the country. A lot of folks in ICUs or other departments and hospitals that are stuck. So we work to get them repatriated back to their homeland. That's amazing. Um, so that, that right there is, is incredible in, in the amount of paperwork and relationships and other things that need to happen. So I'm proud of our Chuck, I think we should change this for this episode from a 10Q30 because uh, he's got my attention. We should call this yeah. a 10Q120. We could have him me. on here for a couple hours easily. <laughs> and I'm probably droning on too. No, no, this is great. I mean, the folks at home who are listening can't see this, but Chuck and I are literally plastered against yeah, the yeah. screen here listening to his. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm envious, I must say. Every That's word. Sure. You know what? We haven't even touched ground or MIH. Which well, I, I was just going to actually ask you you know i know you mentioned you know from hospital to home and including the home whether that included an mih uh, um, uh, avenue and it sounds like it does it, absolutely so it, I'll, I'll lead to that next so in during covid the atrium really invested in leadership and a, a focus on serving people in the home so they started a, a large mih program actually started pre-covid but really got into its own and grew rapidly during covid to where we really have two tracks that we look at inpatient and outpatient. And Jonathan, I'll just stop you. For those that may be listening, MIH, Mobile Integrated Healthcare. Yes, sir. Uh, so just to, just so we make the, because we do get a varied audience that may not be EMS and they're probably scratching their head right now. So I just want to make that clear. Go ahead. Sorry Great. to interrupt. No, I appreciate you doing that. And, and really, as I got into this, because I'm fairly new to Mobile Integrated Health and really interchangeable words with community paramedicine is another term that folks might be familiar with. The way that I've come to see it in my brain is that mobile integrated health is generally associated with the health system and community paramedicine can be associated with fire departments, EMS or health systems, right? So for us, mobile integrated health is divided into two programs. One is hospital at home and then what we call our outpatient or community paramedicine. So on a daily basis, Right now, we're averaging between 30 and 40 inpatient beds at home where we have community paramedics that do twice a day visits into the home. And I'll describe one. So I got to ride along with an incredible paramedic. His name's Troy, just fantastic from New York and has that lively, energetic you know, mentality that, <laughs> that individuals can have from there. And, and as a paramedic, you know, we went into a home and we were with this family where the mother, young woman, had been in the hospital. I think it was sepsis or something that needed to continue to receive heavy drugs, antibiotics, medications. I shouldn't say drugs, medications. Yeah. Uh, and But didn't have to be in a hospital where alarms are going off. You're having people come in and out of your room. Really, she could be in her home. She had a one-year-old and three younger children. So she got to be with her kids. She was laying on her couch. We went into her home. She didn't speak English. Her husband did. You could tell he was a hard worker. Uh, they were immigrants, but just a, a loving family 
And for us to be able to go in, provide care, she spoke with her physician via an iPad. We have a partnership with Best Buy Health where we're doing remote patient monitoring. So we have nurses that are um, connected with the patient 24 hours a day while they're considered hospital at home where they're monitoring the vitals of the patient and then our paramedics go see them twice a day. It's incredible. So we have, uh, again, about 40 patients a day. So that's times two visits where we have paramedics about 25 vehicles about that are out and about on a regular basis. And then you add in another group of anywhere from 10 to 40 outpatient visits where it's once a day, it's focused on preventative efforts to keep them from being readmitted to the hospital, making sure they're doing their medications. One of the pieces that I'm really excited about our team that they put into place is we're also engaging with uh, food pantries to make sure that when we go into the home that the people have are not facing food scarcity, that they actually have access to good food to be able to be healthy. And then secondarily, we're working with uh, Oh, I just lost the name of the organization. You're going to hold this one against me, but uh, they build homes, um, hosp uh, Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity. Where we work with them to be able, we're starting to work with them to be able to help with homes. So it, something as crazy as two weeks ago, we had a paramedic who went to a home that where there were rampant bed bugs and he stayed with the patient, worked through that, helped to get an exterminator out there. I mean, it's, it's less about managing the patient just for healthcare reasons, but helping to engage their environment. So sure. we just get excited about health equity and bringing care and, and to their homes. Yeah. See, Gary and I go back and we often talk about this. We'll joke about this a little bit, but serious. We go back when we watch Johnny and Roy run around in that little red squad 51 and show yeah. emergency, which we were kids then and got excited about EMS and, what I what I often uh, he and I talk about we've talked about I blogged about it. The next iteration of EMS isn't just going to be you call we haul. It's going to be yeah. this kind of holistic approach where we're actually treating patients rather than transporting. It's so refreshing to hear your approach because this is going to be the kind of pilot programs and things you're doing that will propel EMS to where we propelled and became modern EMS in our day and paramedicine and all that. This is the next jump and, and how, how exciting that is for you. That that's fantastic. So Jonathan, I'm, I'm curious, and I think I probably know the answer, but what kind of feedback have you received from the patients and their families when this gentleman is coming into their home, helping uh, an individual, not only with their, their care that they need, but also, doing things like calling, as you mentioned, calling the exterminator, like, uh, my goodness, the family's got to be overwhelmed, especially if the families aren't, aren't relatively close to the patient in all cases, which I assume sometimes happens. So, I mean, can you Definitely. share any of the family stories, what they're giving you back with, as a result of this? It's got to be tremendous. Well, just going back to that example that I was blessed to be able to participate in, again, just a beautiful family. You can tell they're hardworking. They're trying to do their best to uh, continue to develop. Their kids were running around and were just saying, so they all spoke English. And they were saying the oldest one was probably eight or nine, saying how happy he was that his mom was in the home. Mm -hmm. The mom was holding her one-year-old while she had the IV with the antibiotics or whatever it was, the medication she was receiving. Uh, you can tell I'm not a clinician, but uh, the, she was receiving the care 
And all she could say was how happy she was to be in the home and how grateful she was that we could come to her home, save her from being in the hospital. She slept better the night before she was with her husband. She could see and just be in a comfortable place. And we've all seen the studies. We've all seen the work that's been done that shows that people, if they receive the right care and are in the right environment, how much quicker they heal less likely to be readmitted into the hospitals that they're able to progress. And story after story that I could share with you of families, of people that are grateful to be seen in their homes. And really the mentality of the paramedics, this is very different than the 911 response or even interfacility non-emergent transport. This is more of a care environment where you're staying with the patient. You may see the same patient day after day while you're on shift. So it's really a different type of paramedic model. So I, we're lucky that we have access to 911. We, we partner with organizations to provide 911 response. We do our ALS, BLS, and passenger services and wheelchair vans. So we're responsible for all of that for the system. So we, we are working on building that clinical ladder for somebody that may want to become an EMT, trans, you know, transition to a paramedic, advance into critical care paramedic, or comes in as a nurse, wants to advance to critical care nursing. Through these different avenues, we're trying to build an environment where people can progress in their care and want to work here but also be able to see varying levels or different types of care. So if you want to go ride an ambulance, we've got the opportunity to do that. And you're moving patients that may be critical, maybe less so. Or if you want to go work in the home, we have that opportunity. So it, it, it's something that I get really excited about. And I, I know our crews do too. We have, maybe I sound Pollyannish, but we have issues like every system does. We have challenges that we need to overcome. But what I get excited about is in the last nine months, being able to see the crews pull together and just continue to develop this culture of, of care and health equity and doing the right thing and trying to be compliant and just working hard, taking care of people. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Jonathan, and, you mentioned there's a 911 component. Are you are you involved in 911 directly at all, your staff? Or great, great question. So right now in Charlotte, we are not. We do have a partnership with Union County, which is outside of Charlotte, where Atrium provides the staffing for their 911 service. So in effect, we're a vendor and we have some great employees. We're a, I hate the word vendor. We're a yeah. partner to yeah. Union yeah. County in providing the staffing, but it's their program. However, we do have a number of hospitals that are part of Atrium now in Georgia. So Floyd and Navicent, Floyd is in Rome, Georgia, and Navicent's in Macon, Georgia. And they provide 911 services for multiple counties across their areas. And I can't say enough about the strength of those programs. Bud Owen is our leader for that area down there. He's so well known in Georgia for just doing things well and building a strong program that they have counties coming to them looking for services. And so I actually am really excited to build on what Bud and his team have going down in Georgia to look at, could we provide that in other areas? So while it's not a day-to-day -day focus of mine right now, it is an area that I feel like we have a level of expertise that I'm learning from. Well, I was asking because I was wondering if you integrate your community paramedicine into, 
you know, treatment in place, telehealth, and uh, even transport to alternate destinations like the ET3 model, uh, whether you're extending into that, you know, that kind of system status, or is it is it strictly within your within your hub there? Great question. So we work directly with home health. So we also have Atrium has a nursing uh, side where they're able to do home health. So we actually work in partnership. One of the programs that I'm continuing to learn about is we actually uh, as patients may need further care as part of our continuing health initiative, we actually work with a lot of physicians who then manage those patients and they either branch off into home health or they branch off into hospital at home or our, our outpatient or community paramedicine side. And there's a full coordination to your comment about ET3 or, or community outreach. One thing that actually I'm really proud of is our close relationships with the, the county EMS providers. So in North Carolina, they establish one county 911 provider for the entire county. So in Charlotte Mecklenburg, that's medic. And we work very closely with them. They're a great partner of ours. Backing up for us, we try to back up for them. And so that all comes together, even though it may not be under our umbrella. We work well with them. They're fantastic organizations that are very open to this continuum of care concept. Right. That's fantastic. Good stuff. And Jonathan, yeah. coming from a background of nearly three decades uh, prior to coming to QMC and in um healthcare and specifically hospital-based, um, I recognize from an executive uh, administration standpoint, they're constantly, and God bless the, these guys, constantly juggling the product line. And I hate to call it that, but, you know, it's, you know, they've got a budget to balance. They've, you know, got challenges that, that they have just like you do, probably to uh, a bit of a uh, more dollar and cents level. I take it with all of these things. I mean, with mobile integrated health, I know for certain, like, you know, the the Medicare, the dollars aren't always out there. So obviously you have an incredibly supportive administration. And do, do you ever get questions? Is this working? Is it not working? Do you feel like you're always in the principal's office pleading your case? Like this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But, you know, when it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to work, sometimes you get a few more questions and, and, and that's their job. I'm not being downplaying no, their role. It's right. what they have to do. Um, because I, I lived through that, that those times. And um, when you're telling me about all these, these great things you're doing, going into the communities and being the partner with a, a county and, you know, MIH, and I, I'm like, this all costs money. This costs lots of money. And um, so I, I'm guessing that you have a very, very progressive administration from what I can see just from the few words you've spoken. And um, do, you, do you find yourself justifying it that, that often? Tough question, so, I know. No, not a tough question at all. It's actually something coming into this. I wondered as I stepped into this role, because you want to have accountability. And as I talk to my teams, really the focus is for us as a leadership team, we want to make sure we're being accountable before somebody comes in and tells us to be to reach a level of accountability, right? So I don't want somebody coming in and asking me to justify. On a daily basis, we work with our teams to show value, right? So value can be measured in a lot of different ways. And one of the attractors to me for Atrium was the mission. And, and that sounds, for people who know me, that 
that's not me for the last 15 years where I buy into this mission statement, but to share that it's to, the mission is to improve health, elevate hope and advance healing for all. So that is their mission. And I really, that resonates with me because each of the aspects of what we do, whether it's ground transport, air transport, MIH, uh, the capacity command center and moving patients, there's a lot of times where we're not going to see significant reimbursement. Hospital at home right now is not reimbursed by CMS. Mm -hmm. It just isn't. And so we would love for them to state Medicaid for North Carolina. I know I have colleagues that are passionate about this that have met with them where if I'm understanding correctly, even as recently as months or last year, we're saying, well, we're afraid that hospital at home is going to increase health disparity. And we're trying to show them through statistics and information that this actually is an incredible equitable program that brings healthcare to people that can't pay for it and helps prevent them from being readmitted into the hospital. It reduces ED admissions. It helps to, I mean, there's this incredible story that some of my team will tell about this individual that went into the ER hundreds of times per year. And they, they expected this individual to come on a regular basis. And until MIH got into their home, our paramedic got into their home built a relationship, took them in as part of our, our outpatient uh, community paramedicine program, they determined that this individual was eating rock salt mm. and helped to find care for that individual where so many admissions into the ER were because this individual did not either had the, the mental health concerns or whatever it was. And again, I'm not a clinician, but that was leading to this individual doing that, consuming something that was having this terrible effect on their physical health until this paramedic got into their home and was able to help build the relationship that individual would share with them what the issue was. Just think of the thousands, tens of thousands, millions of dollars of an impact just from that one individual that had gone to the ER. I want to say it was like 250 times per year or something yeah. like that. It was almost every other day, if not every day. So the the fact that we have systems that allow us to get there, back to your question, I know I went way around. No, it's we, a great we explanation. Try, we try to show value in many ways. So I think the system and the leaders clearly support this. They've invested a lot in this. And I, for that, I'm grateful. They look at value as, so in Charlotte right now, one of our biggest issues is that we're often massively at overcapacity. Mm -hmm. So we have multiple major facilities that have, I get a message that we're boarding 40 patients in the ER at one of our main hospitals. And so decompression, prevention of individuals going into the hospital, the movement of patients from the main hospital to other hospitals that can help manage those patients. That is a huge deal for our system that may not, other systems may not face. So the investment in the ground ambulances, the teams, MIH, to help with decompression, that alone is a massive value to our system and to the community. You add into that the prevention of readmissions going into the ED. You add into that the community support where freestanding EDs or smaller hospitals may not be able to take care of those patients. That There's a lot of value we look to bring that's not just in dollars. 
However, at the same time, we work closely with our billing provider, QuickMed Claims, to make sure that where we can get reimbursed appropriately, either through contracts with commercial, through CMS, or through individuals, other parties, we do look to get reimbursed as much as possible. My goal is to be as financially frugal and efficient as possible while not jeopardizing the mission and, and trying to show value through multiple avenues, the downstream revenue, the actual revenue, and then the service to the community and the patients. It's our goal to be a partner to our hospitals and to our community. Well stated. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, do you want consider having a audience with some Senate committee in the next week <laughs> to prove to them that CMS needs to pay for this. It's so frustrating to me. You know, they just yeah. ended, they just announced they're going to end the ET3 demonstration program, yes. which, which is so unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm frustrated um, simply because the amount of dollar savings that can be realized, just for example, what you just said about, you know, taking people out of, Re readmissions and revisits to the ED and all that. Certainly there's not a direct ROI on that that you can draw up on any one spreadsheet, but you have articulated exactly where we need to go and using EMS as part of that is integral and why there seems to be a log jam in Washington, D.C. and at state capitals about this issue just just defies all logic. I wish you could testify in front of these committees because you have articulated it better than I've heard anyone. And if, you get, if you're listening out there, folks, take this recording and share it with your legislator because this is exactly where EMS should be going. We are healthcare professionals and uh, we are not ambulance drivers. Jonathan is not an ambulance driver and, and, and Gary and I may have been in our day, but this is exactly exactly where where we're we're going to you know like you said we're we're taking people and we're not excluding treatment we're including people that could otherwise not be treated and then treating them in the confines and the security of their own home my gracious what yeah. what what foresight i i just absolutely I uh, i'm, I'm truly impressed Two pieces to that that I think are not spoken enough about are the impact that this can have also on the shortage of nurses in hospitals mm. and, and physicians where we're yes. struggling in health systems to make sure we're not burning out our nurses and RTs and other clinicians in the hospitals. But then the second aspect is the focus that we need to invest in education and development for our paramedics because they're such a vital part of this holistic care that we're moving towards. And so not only do I think we need to passionately advocate for reimbursement for these types of services, but also it helps to reduce the pressure on the hospitals and the nursing shortage and physicians and other RTs and techs and everybody that's impacted by overcrowded pressure EDs. And then it also would allow us to develop our systems of paramedics and EMTs that definitely need a path and to be supported and receive the type of compensation that will allow them to stay in that type of role. So th those are all probably topics we could spend hours, hours. on, but I'm, I'm passionate about those. So I won't dive too deep into that hole. Jonathan, <laughs> let's get a little more granular here as we close. You've got some great people. I, I don't know any of them, wouldn't know any of them, but just by the way you describe them, 
you, it sounds like you have total buy-in from your team, and that is just wonderful to hear. Along those lines, how do you, how does your organization, because this is a stress-filled job, you could love it, but it's still stress-filled. How do you guys take care of the caregivers? It's, it's a great question and one that we're continuing to evolve and we need to do a better job. So as I came into this role, we're facing like many people, turnover, people that are struggling with development and the stress and, and forces that are put upon them every day, the demands that are put upon them every day. And so for all of my personnel, whether that's fleet logistics people to EMTs, to paramedics, to RTs, to nurses, to our medical directors, to our managers, we have this wide group of people with so many differing backgrounds, and I'm sure I'm leaving people out, our communication specialists, our uh, nurse coordinators, everybody that's engaged in this process. There are so many pressures and they're all vital to our success. And so first and foremost, we really as leaders need to do a good job of recognizing their efforts, of highlighting, supporting, helping to manage to a level of respect and civility, I think you have to have that as an underlying foundation. And so often in pressure situations, we lack our self-awareness and we start to lash out at people or, or spread our own individual personal challenges against others. And first and foremost, as a team, we have to emphasize civility, emphasize professionalism, gratitude, recognition, all the stuff that you learn in kindergarten and elementary school of what you're supposed to do. And, and I think that oftentimes that falls out of focus. And so one of the things that we need to do is focus on that. We need to make sure we're setting up safe environments and safety has to be a daily discussion across all of our service lines mm -hmm. that we're providing the right equipment, the right environment, the right ability to speak up and have that crew resource management as part of their process on a daily basis. We need to make sure that we're uh, setting them up for success. So from a compensation level, I feel that we're very blessed that we have the support to compensate our people. That's not just pay rates. That's also support with benefits. That's support with other aspects that we could get into of, of benefits. I think education is incredibly important. I touched on earlier, we're trying to develop ladders where people can progress and improve so they don't feel like they're stuck in one place. Mm -hmm. I think that it's addressing issues as they come up and that may be people issues, that may be operational issues. We are not perfect. In fact, I could probably spend the next five hours talking through areas that I'd like to see that we pull together as a team and improve. So we recognize we have areas for development, but I do believe we have the right people and the right support to be able to progress and take care of our people. This week is our employee appreciation week at Atrium. And we're grateful to all of our teammates that use that word very regularly here, teammate and team. And I'm trying to buy into that. I believe in that concept. And so emphasizing the fact that all of our team and teammates are incredibly important. Right. Chuck, you had a question? Uh, yeah, I just, uh, uh, one thing, what's your greatest operational challenge right now today? Like, so we've heard wonderful things and you've mentioned throughout, hey, we're not perfect. We, uh, what, what's, what's your biggest hurdle 
in making all this happen right now that, that you're really, that every day you wake up saying, oh, I wish I could get this off my plate. That's tough. I can probably <laughs> do that too. Can I do a quick? Okay, you can do two. two. You go ahead. Go. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. If you give me two. So, right. so one would be the, so we have a large system. I've, I've briefed you kind of on the spectrum of services we provide. It's supporting our communication specialists and capacity command center to appropriately triage and take advantage of our resources. So there is demand every day for our helicopters, our jets, our grand ambulances, MIH, and that all goes through our communication center. And that's hard to make sure we're triaging appropriately, getting all the data we need, using best metrics and, and coordinating services. So to, and communicating to all of our requesters and partners out there. So, so let me ask right you now, this real quick. How many yeah. requests for service on average per day? Oh, uh, you shouldn't ask me that. I should know that and come prepared. <laughs> I'm it's, just trying to set an... some, I'm just trying, just trying to set some context for the listener. So, so from the passenger services side, there's a demand about a hundred transports a day for wheelchair services and, and ambulatory patients. From our ground ambulance side, there's about a hundred requests a day to move non-emergent to ALS, BLS transports. From our critical care side, we're moving, um, call it uh, from the helicopter side, we're, we're getting requests about 10 a day. From our jets, we're averaging about five or six a day. So you add all the MIH is doing, like I said earlier, we're in averaging 32, 33 times two right now of moving patients around. We also coordinate for behavioral health. Our fleet team manages all the vehicles. So there's a lot of coordination there. So I didn't give you a I think we get the picture. No, no, but I see why you mentioned communication as your top, because that's a lot of moving pieces for your call center people to try to integrate and get that mindset that, hey, it's not just moving A to B, but it's also how can I integrate all that care into it? Wow, that, that that's a lot. I've, I've, I've worked in call center situations, so I'm very familiar. And that's a lot of moving pieces. Yep. And they work hard and they're great people. It's making sure that we're providing them the right resources. Absolutely. Yep. processes and applications to be able to do that. So that's that's the first one that I'd say. And the second one is the retention and building a culture where people want to work. Yep. So everybody's unique. And so paramedics right now are hard to come by. The county EMS providers need them. We need them. The hospitals want them. Paramedics, EMTs are one group that I, I don't want to exclude our nurses, RTs and others. No, but paramedics are an area right now that is pressure filled to find individuals. And so I have to, as a leader, set the tone and work with my team that people want to work here. It's not compensation. It really isn't. We need to pay our people well, but we're competing against every other organization out there to attract and retain people that sometimes goes from the bang, bang, crazy transports all the way down to moving individuals uh, to back to a, a skilled nursing facility or some other aspect, which is not a exciting transport. So it's building the right culture that's focused on the patient, supporting our people and making sure that they want to be here long term. I take that as a full responsibility of mine that I have to do and set the tone every day so that people want to work with our organization. And I take that 
as my number one responsibility beyond safety and integrity and patient care is setting up the culture that people want to work here. Well, I, I have to say, I've never met Jonathan before up till, up till just a few minutes ago when we started, but I can tell you right now, Atrium has the right guy for the job. Yeah, you bet. And um, speaking of Atrium overall, and I mean, that's in all sincerity, Jonathan, I really do. Uh, speaking of Atrium, you mentioned before we started recording today, um, Atrium uh, as an organization is also growing. Can you can you give us a little information about that be, as we close here? Definitely. So I mentioned the Southeast region. So in the last couple of years, we've had the opportunity to partner with not only what used to be Carolina's Medical Center around Charlotte, which was, became Atrium. Then we added in our partners with Wake Forest Baptist Health. So that is uh, Air Care, which is a fantastic historical air medical ground. They also have MIH. I could go into their hospitalist at home program. They have some fantastic things that they're doing up there that I could highlight as we align more and more and work together. They're wonderful to work with. Such a great program. And then I talked about our, our uh, Floyd and Navicent programs down in Georgia. So that's what we would call our Southeast region that have joined as part of Atrium in the last few years. Just as I joined late last year, it was announced that we were partnering with Aurora Advocate up in, based in uh, Wisconsin and Illinois. So out of Chicago Advocate Health, our new combined organization is going to be known as Advocate Health. And we're working with our Midwest partners now to align and see how we can continue to build. One of the more interesting aspects is that they work with a lot of partners in the Midwest to provide a lot of the services that we do internally in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. So there are ways for us to build together and learn from each other with a different perspective, which I get excited about. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Um, Chuck, I know we could probably keep this gentleman on for I literally another for hour. Because hours, you're telling me you I'm captivated by all yeah. these things. And yeah. again, I'm uh, I try to be very direct as how I am. And I am just fascinated but with such with great vision doing. and leadership, Jonathan. My truly, goodness. Truly. My goodness. And the ability to that not many can can articulate the goals and the, and the mission. And, and that's important. And that's I'm sure that's why you're successful. I, uh, kudos, kudos across the board. This this just excites me and uh, gives me hope that it as does. Gary and I approach the point hope. where we're going to need your services, that there are still fine gentlemen like yourself out there uh, championing what we have come to grow to love and admire and, and stake our careers over. Um, uh, you excite me. I want to get back and start all over. I got to tell you. <laughs> You're very kind. And, and, and what I'd say is my job is easy because of the fantastic clinicians, pilots, mechanics, no question, all these great folks and, and teammates that I get to work with. Uh, really, I get to sit and hold, I just look forward to holding their bags and walking with them and listening to them as they work, uh, sitting in the comm center, sitting with, uh, I, I got to watch, one of our mechanics working on an aircraft the other day. And I just, we have so many experts that because of their hard work and their focus on that outcome of taking care of that patient and getting home safely at the end of the shift, at the end of the day, if I just get out of their way, most of the time, mm -hmm. we're going to continue to progress. So it's, 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 uh, well, and I applaud you for spending time with them. That's important. And, uh, I'm sure they appreciate that. And, uh, uh, you certainly get, you know, you have to be out in the street in order to get a view of what's going on. And uh, 
Uh, kudos for not just sitting behind a desk. That, that, that that's that's refreshing. There. That's refreshing. It is, Jonathan. Um, we're gonna put this out to uh, on our podcast channel. It's picked up typically by iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, all the big ones out there. Um, if people would have questions for you, and we found with these ten cues that people do have questions from time to time, and actually, I'm kind of amazed that this little inner network sometimes forms of hey. I heard you. Can I bounce something off here? Or can you tell me a little bit more about it? Are you open to people contacting you? And if so, how would they do it? Yes, uh, very open. And you're welcome to reach out to me via email. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll share that. But it's it's my full name, Jonathan.Collier at atriumhealth.org. So J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot C-O-L-L-I-E-R at atriumhealth.org. We welcome insights. I'd love to recruit people. So anybody listening, I'm going to put a plug in for come work with us because uh, we, we, we could use fantastic clinicians, pilots, mechanics across the board. We'd love to, to talk to anybody that's interested, but uh, I, I have a great team that we could connect you with. But, but regardless, people who have questions or want to continue to develop in the industry, I'd love to bounce ideas and make those connections. Well, thank you. And thank you for spending time with us today. We recognize we went over. And again, uh, I'm kind of cutting us off here because I could ask another 10 or 15 questions. And my my colleague, Chuck, he can always he can double me. He can do 30 to 40 more questions. Trust me. Um, But thank you for spending time from your uh, from your day. And I think what I heard through all of this is, you know, uh, it does take a village, the pilots, the mechanics, the communication specialists, the whole team. Um, and in the end, it takes a good leader to, to keep that village together. And it's goes without saying that, and, uh, that you're doing that. And I congratulate you and wish you all the best for the future. Um, thank you again for taking time. And, uh, we appreciate, uh, appreciate you being here in, in just so many ways. Uh, I'm sad that I'm retiring because I know our paths would probably cost at some point at a conference or two so i'm just gonna have to make a mecca south at some point and see if i can take <laughs> this do. guy to lunch so please do the door is uh, always open but uh it, when I'll, I'll figure out a way to get up there soon but i appreciate the opportunity to highlight uh, what a, a, a great program that i get to be a part of i'm very lucky you so, you are definitely lucky yeah, and uh congratulations to but you they're lucky again. to have you too but so absolutely so with that chuck thanks for joining us jonathan thank you again for your time and to all of those folks who took time to listen to us listen to this podcast today uh, we always do appreciate you you tuning in and downloading our podcast Uh, we enjoy doing these for you these 10 cues the uh, excuse my medics and the general presentations that we do um, we're always impressed at the number of listeners out there so thank you so much uh, for continuing to keep our program up and running on your local podcast channel Uh, that means the world to all of us and we're just going to continue to plug along so with that being said we'll close as we always do with simply hey be be safe safe out out there. there